Good morning. I'm Wimala, and today is Friday, April the 22nd. Uh, gray, rainy, but not very cold day today. So it's very gray. And uh, I don't know if there's, if there's a lot of good lighting and <laughs> right where I'm sitting. Um, just uh, listening to the world news this morning, I realized there's just not very much good news in the world, right? And it, this is creating horrible suffering and un, unknown, even yet, atrocities are happening in Ukraine. This is also happening in other parts of the world. So we're not even aware of how uh, deeply these atrocities have been uh, how deeply they're being felt and happening in, in countries that we don't have access to see what's going on. But thinking of Ukraine, we know, we know and uh, the atrocities and the deaths are mounting. So this is creating a lot of suffering, I know, for most of us, just in that feeling of there's nothing we can do and what, what, what can our country be doing? What can we be doing to help? And it creates a kind of suffering that we all have to deal with. Um, and I think I, I, I'm pretty good at staying away from news all during the day, and I don't watch uh, television stations. But when I do hear the news, and I try to keep abreast to at least be aware of what's going on in the world, um, I'm not hearing it repeated several times during the day, though. But when I do hear it, it's it's the sadness is almost overwhelming, and that feeling of what can I do, and what is there to be done, and what can how can we help, is becomes almost overwhelming. And then this morning, someone was also talking about how the condition that Sudan is in, and the news commentator said, well, and because the food is scarce and people don't have enough food to eat as it is, and a lot of their food was coming from Russia, but uh, it was almost kind of a, uh, it was sounded like a casual, but I know it wasn't question that, uh, so the so the starvation happening in the Ukraine and due to the, 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 the repercussions of what the Russians are doing in the Ukraine are affecting the Sudan. And so lives are, will be lost in great numbers in Ukraine, but also in, the, in Sudan because of, the, because of the conflict. And the answer was, of course, yes. And, you know, it's almost a throwaway line, like, but the reality of that is hitting us, I think, every day. So this suffering that we take on is kind—that's that's a suffering of a set that second arrow. So um, I think it's important for us to feel the sadness, feel the the emotions that arise in us, but let them be, let them lead to. Uh, our turning inward and seeing what parts of this whole craziness in the world, what parts of it are within us, 
and how can we how can we work with purifying our own minds and our hearts and then then try to be of help so it's creating there's a lot of suffering and the suffering that we feel well I'd like to read I'd like to read this uh, the essay from the Gil Fronsdale's book The Issue at Hand and I may have read this before I don't think I have but it's a very it's a short essay but it's called Intolerance to Suffering and here's the Dhammapada 146 quote why the laughter what the joy when flames are ever burning surrounded by darkness shouldn't you seek for light intolerance to suffering Buddhism is often considered a religion of tolerance in many ways it is but a but a particular kind of intolerance develops as we practice intolerance to suffering. I use the word intolerance to be deliver deliberately provocative to encourage you to reflect on suffering and the issues surrounding it. Taking suffering seriously is an important element of Buddhist practice. To ignore it is to miss a powerful opportunity Intolerance to suffering motivated the Buddha to find liberation from it. Suffering, a feeling of dissatisfaction with life, motivates people to engage in spiritual practice. The Buddha's challenge is for us to become free of our suffering. People are often quite tolerant of their suffering, particularly of the subtle suffering in everyday activities. For example, we may not pay attention to the subtle tension in the way we drive, going a little faster than is comfortable, judging other drivers, or perhaps being anxious about our destination. Such minor stress tends to build over time, affecting our overall mood. People also tolerate larger suffering for example, we may be afraid that addressing certain issues in our relationships will cause even more suffering, so we choose not to. Or we may passively tolerate such existential anxiety as the fear of death, never really looking into it deeply, never freeing ourselves of its grip on our life. We have many ways of tolerating suffering and many reasons for doing so. We may fear the consequences of facing our suffering. We may become numb to it or turn away from it. We can intentionally deny the existence of something that is quite uncomfortable. We may also tolerate our suffering because of ambition or desire. Or we may be willing to tolerate some suffering to achieve what we perceive is a greater good. Sometimes this tolerance is a necessary component of life. To graduate from college, for example, many of us tolerated unpleasant situations. We were willing to put up with the discomfort because of the value of education. But such tra trade-offs are not always worthwhile. When we consider our deepest values, we may find that what we are pursuing is not really worth it. For example, financial worth may not be worth the years of stress needing to achieve it. 
Major crises and personal tragedies can be very difficult to deal with, but they can be easier if we have had experience with smaller issues. The subtle suffering in our lives, such as in the way we drive or talk to co-workers, may seem unimportant, but if we attend to the small ways that we suffer, we create a context of greater ease, peace, and responsibility, which can make it easier to deal with the bigger difficulties when they arise. Being intolerant of suffering in the Buddhist sense does not mean we reject our fight against it. It means that we stop and look at it, not morbidly, but rather because we have faith in the possibility of living a joyful and peaceful life if we can understand our sufferings. In Buddhist practice, we investigate the nature of suffering. One of the first things we may notice is our relationship to it. We may discover how we tolerate, avoid, or accept suffering in unhealthy ways. We may notice our aversion to suffering. Trying to push something out of the heart is another form of suffering. Aversion to suffering creates even more suffering. We may also notice how suffering functions in our lives. We might be using it as proof of or justification for inappropriate judgments about ourselves. For example, that we are blameworthy, inadequate, or incapable. Identifying strongly with our suffering can become our orientation to the world. Occasionally, people hang on to the identity, I'm a victim, and want to be treated by others as a victim. We can use our suffering to get other people to respond to us in ways that may not be healthy. However, being willing to investigate suffering and to look at it closely and non-reactively changes our relationship to it. We bring a healthy part of our psyche to the experience of suffering. Instead of being wrapped up in our suffering, lost in aversion to it, or shut off from it, we simply ask, what is this? This movement toward a different relationship with our suffering is an important aspect of Buddhist practice. Meditation practice helps us develop concentration. When we develop concentration on something as simple as the breath, we counter the, forth, we counter the force of our attachments with the strength of our concentration. Concentration often creates a sense of calm, sense of even joy that in turn begins to change our relationship to suffering. But concentration is only a part of mindfulness practice. Mindfulness strengthens our ability to look honestly and steadfastly at the sources of our suffering. It helps us to see that the roots of our suffering are actually in the present moment. The conditions that give birth to suffering may be in the past, and understanding past conditions can be very helpful. But suffering occurs in the present moment and is actually held in place by craving, aversion, or fear that are also occurring in the present. If we can release the holding, suffering loosens. 
Mindfulness joined with concentration allows us to see the moments to the moment-to-moment holding at the heart of our suffering. Intolerance to suffering may coexist with joy, certainly not joy in the suffering itself, but the joy of bringing our practice to bear on it. As we become intolerant of our suffering and face it honestly, we begin to see the possibility of living a joyful and peaceful life. And I think that joyful and peaceful life can coexist when there there is great uh, sorrow about the sit- condition of the world, because the reality is there's always there are always wars and death and uh, unkindness in the world. We have to begin and start with ourselves, and I think. Um, Suffering only occurs in the present moment and is actually held in place by craving, aversion, or fear that are also occurring in the present. So I think we can, we can be increasing perhaps our sorrows about what's going on in other parts of the world because we're also uh, feeling, uh, feeling that, that uh, suffering within ourselves. If we can release the holding, suffering loosens. And that's holding on to the craving, aversion, or fear occurring in the present. So I just thought that was a tender uh, article about suffering. Because when we think about the suffering of others, we're, we can immediately uh, begin to connect it to the suffering, to our own suffering. And then they they get all mixed up within us. So there's another mindfulness of thoughts, and I'd like to. This one's a short one too. I'd like to read this. Mindfulness of thoughts, and here's the Dhammapada, thirty-five to thirty-six verse. The mind, hard to control, flighty, alighting where it wishes, one does well to tame. The disciplined mind brings happiness. The mind, hard to see, subtle, alighting where it wishes. The sage protects. The watched mind brings happiness. Dhammapada 35 and 36. Mindfulness of thoughts is the essay. Oops. Sometimes people think the point of meditation is to stop thinking, to have a silent mind. This does happen occasionally, but it is not necessarily the point of meditation. Thoughts are an important part of life, and mindfulness practice is not supposed to be a struggle against them. We can benefit more by being friends with our thoughts than by regarding them as unfortunate distractions. In mindfulness, we are not stopping thoughts as much as overcoming any preoccupation we have with them. I really like that preoccupation. Sometimes I'll think of thoughts as, or even mention that they're distracting thoughts. 
But I love this. In mindfulness, we are not stopping thoughts as much as overcoming any preoccupation we have with them. (laughs) However, mindfulness is not thinking about things either. It is a non-discursive observation of our life in all its aspects. Non-discursive. In those moments when thinking predominates, mindfulness is the clear and silent awareness that we are thinking. So, in it is a non-discursive observation of our life in all its aspects. In the in those moments when thinking does predominate, mindfulness is the clear and silent awareness that we are thinking. A piece of advice I found helpful and relaxing was when someone said, for the purpose of meditation, nothing is particularly worth thinking about. (laughs) (laughs) For the purpose of meditation, nothing is particularly worth thinking about. Remember that. Thoughts can come and go as they wish, and the meditator does not need to become involved with them. We know that. We are not interested in engaging in the context of our thoughts. Mindfulness of thinking is simply recognizing that we are thinking. In meditation, when thoughts are subtle and in the background, or when random thoughts pull us away from awareness of the present, All we have to do is resume mindfulness of breathing. However, when our preoccupation with thoughts is stronger than our ability to let go of them easily, then we direct mindfulness to being clearly aware that thinking is occurring. So when our preoccupation with thoughts is stronger than our ability to let go of them easily, then we direct mindfulness to being clearly aware that thinking is occurring. Strong bouts of thinking are fueled largely by identification and preoccupation with thoughts. By clearly observing our thinking, we step outside the field of identification. So by observing, clearly observing our thinking, we can step outside the field of identifying with them. Thinking will usually then soften to a calm and unobtrusive stream. So we want to back away from identifying with the thought. This thought is mine. This thought is me. That's, that's the identification. We want to let go of the that grasping, that clinging to things. Is, this is part of me. This is who I am. Sometimes thinking can be strong and compulsive even while we are aware of it. When this happens, one approach is to notice how such thinking affects the body, physically and energetically. This is strong and compulsive thinking. Sometimes thinking can be strong and compulsive even while we are aware of it. We can't let it go. When this happens, one approach is to notice, I'm rereading this, 
When, when this happens, one approach is to notice how such thinking affects the body, physically and energetically. It may cause pressure in the head, tension in the forehead, tightness of the shoulders, or a buzzing as if the head were filled with thousands of bumblebees. Let your mindfulness feel the sensations of tightness, pressure, or whatever you discovered. To be caught up in the story of these preoccupying thoughts is easy, but if you feel the physical sensation of thinking, then you are bringing attention to the present moment rather than the storyline of the thoughts. So if you can feel the physical sensation of thinking, then you are coming back to the present moment rather than the storyline, rather than what you're thinking about. So that's a way to back up. Be aware of how those thoughts make you feel physically. When a particular theme keeps reappearing in your thinking, and don't they always? <laughs> if you watch your thoughts, don't we see those patterns, right? <laughs> Diane saying papancha, that's all this incessant thinking. When a particular thing keeps reappearing in your thinking, when a particular theme keeps reappearing in your thinking, more likely, most likely it is triggered by a strong emotion. In that case, no matter how many times you recognize a repeated thought concern and come back to the breath, the concern is liable to keep reappearing if the associated emotion isn't recognized. So if you keep, this is, this is going to be the important kernel, I think. No matter how many times you recognize a repeated thought concern and come back to the breath, the concern is likely to keep reappearing if the associated emotion isn't recognized. For example, people who plan a lot often find that planning thoughts arise out of apprehension. If the fear is not acknowledged, it will become a factory of new planning thoughts. So if there is a repetitive thought pattern, see if you can discover an emotion associated with it, and then practice mindfulness of the emotion. Ground yourself in the present moment in the emotion itself. When you acknowledge the emotion, often the thoughts it engenders will cease. Acknowledging the, the emotion, and that's the, hard, that's the hard part. Thoughts are a huge part of our lives. Many of us spend much time inhabiting the cognitive world of stories and ideas. Mindfulness practice won't stop the thinking, but it will help prevent us from compulsively following thoughts that have appeared. And this, in turn, will help us become more balanced so that our physical, emotional, and cognitive sides all work together as a whole. So that was mindfulness of thoughts. And the first one we read was uh, intolerance to suffering. So I'm not sure if they connect, but 
We don't have much time, but let's sit. And I'd like to begin this time with our my wish. If you're uh, thinking about the condition of the world and how much suffering there is and uh, how much change is going on in our world all the time, I think my wish, giving us advice on what we can do, <laughs> what we can be, how we can think, I think that can uh, be something that we just we can just sit with any time. And my wish, remember, is is uh, is really like a bodhisattva a promise. So, looking for looking for awakening, this is the way. This is the way to achieve it. So, let's just do my wish and we'll sit for a few minutes with that before we close. So, just be in your posture so you can be relaxed and just uh, listen or if, you, if you've memorized it, say it with me and then we'll sit for a minute or two and then I'll close with our sharing of merit. May I become, at times, both now and forever, a protector for those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with an ocean to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. By means of this meritorious deed, May I never join with the unwise, only the wise, until the time I have attained awakening. Just be aware of the breath. Remembering that the earth itself and the wishes you send, this is Earth Day weekend. May everything we do today not only be of everything we do and say and think, be of benefit not only to ourselves but to all sentient beings. And I think 
we can include this planet Earth as one of those sentient beings. So, thank you for being with me and for being a strong part of my practice. And I'll see you uh, Sunday. We actually have Sutta study if you're involved in Sutta study in the afternoon. And uh, other than that, have a beautiful weekend. Bye-bye.